offside. Oh, is it going in? It is! Unbelievable stop from Robbie Fowler. You're listening to the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's. We've reached the promised land. It is episode 13 of the Robbie Fowler podcast. It's brought to you by McDonald's McCafe. Great tasting coffee. Simple. There's good reason I say the promised land because it is the final episode of season one. It's myself, Chris McCarty, joined by the man that adorns the title. It's Mr. Robbie Fowler. How are you, Rob? Chris, how are you, pal? I'm good, mate. I'm really good. How Got is another, uh, another good guest today. Good Another good guest. We'll get to him in a second. But how are you? How's how's lockdown in Liverpool? Um, well, yeah, it's not great, is it? I mean, we're all we're, we're all struggling, Chris, aren't we? So we we um, hopefully within you know the next week or so, there's going to be a little bit, a few few restrictions lifted, which will uh, give everyone a little bit of a cheer up and a little bit of a smile. But till then, mate, we've just got a uh, we've just got a soldier along, haven't we? It's not great. I mean, absolutely, you do. But will you be pulling one or two strings? Will you be at Anfield in the next coming weeks? I have no plans, mate. To be fair, but I mean, obviously, you know, you know, I'm a bit of a football connoisseur, mate. You so are. Obviously, uh, in around Easter holidays, Christmas holidays, uh, all these type of holidays are brilliant because there's loads of football. So there's loads <laughs> of football coming up. So I'm I'm quite happy. Good man. Listen, you, you you mentioned it right there. We've got a very special guest, a real good guest. This and anyone who's been listening to this podcast regularly will know that I'm a bit of an uh, obsessive over this fella. I won't tell him that because that just sounds weird. But Brendan hmm. Rogers, I'll, I'll for, tell him. I'll tell you him can then. tell him. You can tell him, Rob. Brendan Rogers, though, and you know what? A lot's been said about him, and I want to get your take on him before we welcome him into the conversation. Brendan Rogers, Liverpool fans, I've often said that he gets a rough ride from Liverpool fans. Am I right in saying that? Um, I think you're right to a degree. I think there's obviously a minority, uh, and that is any club in the world, and that is any fans of, of any club, uh, obviously with their recollections or their ideas of what a manager will look like. But I think there's no doubt about where Brendan, uh, when he left Liverpool, I think they were in a much better position than when he took over. Uh, I've got a lot of time for him. I like him. I think he's a very, very good manager. Uh, but look, whenever anyone, whether it's a player, whenever it's a manager, whenever they leave a football club anyway, there will be people questioning people saying whether he was the right man for the job, whether he was this, he was that. Um, but I don't think anyone could argue the fact is that he did take over a Liverpool team that was, was relatively struggling. Uh, and yeah. if, did he make them competitive again? Of course he did. OK, the, you know, the, the end of his tenure, if you like, where uh, they, they probably struggled to get a few results. Uh, but I still thought that he was a great manager and he... he did do very well for Liverpool, but not everyone will agree with me, uh, and that's just the way football is. And and this is why we love football because everyone will have their their opinion. Everyone will have different opinions, as as I've said. Um, and who's right and who's wrong? Well, the, the fact is that uh, he's not no longer at Liverpool tells you that. Tells you well, that gives you a little bit of an insight, doesn't it, or a little bit of an answer to. Uh, <laughs> To, to the question. <laughs> Very diplomatic, Robert. I'm always diplomatic. Is. I'm always, <laughs> but I do. In all fairness, I like him because, I mean, I, I've been on on record numerous times, and I, I, I treat people the way they treat me, and I've got a lot of time for Brendan because, uh, obviously, myself being around the club when I was there, you know, he'd, he'd always, you know, stop what he was doing, and he'd come and chat with me, and would talk football, would talk with the stuff. Um, you know, I remember going on pre-season trips, and he'd sit there and. 
uh, you know, while the lads were training and he'd tell me why they were doing this and why they were doing that. So I, I loved all that. And anyone who, who, has, who has got the, 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 I know, anyone who's got the nous to come in and tell you all this, then, I mean, that tells you who's, who's a man who's extremely confident. You know, he wasn't worried or or focused on, oh, well, some ex-players here, I better, um, I better do something else or about it yeah. is because and we've seen it with football clubs whenever you see um, you know an ex-player or you know someone who's got a, a great association with the club uh, whenever you see them in around training ground well more often than not managers at that particular time think well we're after we're after their jobs or you know you're after my job uh, that's the way it, it works but you know Brendan uh, knew he was confident he knew what he could achieve he knew what he wanted to do uh, and he was confident enough to to involve you in com- conversations which uh, which telling you wh- why he was doing stuff and uh, and what he needed to do and, and I loved that about him ultimately Rob because, because I am a fan I think as a coach fantastic I actually think he, he's one of the very best out there in the English Premier League where he I guess came a cropper from a Liverpool standpoint was it recruitment? I think I read a fact or a stat that 23 players came in over his tenure close to £300 million was spent and you look at the names that he brought in Mario Balotelli I'm not saying anything people don't know a disaster at that football club. Ricky Lambert, a heck of a player, a good player, maybe not quite at Liverpool level, if that's fair to say. I mean, was that his big Achilles heel? Um, yes and no. I think, uh, again, any manager comes in will, will bring players in. And not every manager, not every player will work for that manager. Uh, I mean, you look at the likes of who did he bring in? He brought Dayan Lovren. Uh, you know, Divock Origi, who went on to score in Champions League, Joel Gomez, uh, who's you know potentially one of the the outstanding younger players in the Premier League. Uh, you know, obviously James Milner as, as a free agent to come in, he's still there, still you know being you know part of uh, you know a great Liverpool team. Um, Continue. Uh, Firmino, yeah, you know, there's a player who's who's obviously you know, instrumental in uh, you know getting Liverpool to to the trophies of one. So, of of course, people will question that. And and what I said before about pe- uh, people's opinions on Brendan Rodgers, you know, you know, he, he's a manager who's who tried to bring out the very best. And okay, not every not every decision or not every play that you make is the right one. And we all know that. And we've all got to be extremely naive who we think, oh, he's going to sign this player, he's going to be perfect. You know, you do you do chop and change and you do try and work out the best you know scenarios. Um, and look, be honest, there's lots of players. I mean, you've mentioned Mario Tell, uh, Balotelli, uh, but there's lots of other players who didn't necessarily work as well. Uh, but the big one again was was Balotelli. Um, I mean, he came on a free, so you know, I mean, I'm not sure what his wages was, but you know, he, he wasn't he wasn't the answer. I think we we probably all could have we probably all could have said what the uh, the outcome for that was, but uh, was it a case of you know we need a forward and uh, you know maybe we're we're desperate for one. Uh, obviously, not desperate enough, as we'll find out. But I want to get to this before Brendan comes on, Rob, because you referenced this, and I think the Paul Scholes episode where Scholes he came back from retirement, he he got another chance uh, from Fergie at Old Trafford, and you said, "Well, I picked up the phone and I offered my services to Brendan at Liverpool." True yeah. as the day is long. 
Yeah, no, I did actually, and uh, I mean, I'm not really what 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 period of time it was, but obviously Brendan was a manager, and I did send him a message. So it must have been a, a situation where Liverpool were were struggling. So I've obviously got these big high hopes of of maybe my my second spell at Liverpool, where Liverpool were struggling to score goals, where maybe I could come in and do. And obviously Rafa picked up the forward and got me back there. So uh, done okay, done done a decent job. I thought when I went back, so. Like the Liverpool ladder in me and the, the confidence in me came out when Liverpool again were were maybe struggling to score goals. So I'm thinking, <laughs> I'll throw me a ten pence worth in again. And I, I did send uh, Brendan a message, and I'm not sure if he'll remember, unless he thought it was an April first type thing. I don't even know when it was, <laughs> but uh, I did send him a message just saying, I, you know, I, I would love to come and play. Not, uh, I've not had any answers to <laughs> Well. I, I hope to be fair. I I hope he does remember. I hope I hope he like proves it to be true. But I've uh, I've actually strolled through all the messages I've got, uh, uh, you know, from uh, myself to Brendan, and uh, I can't find it. But what what I'm assuming was, it must have been his old it must have been his old number, <laughs> or or some fella called Brendan somewhere else has just haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. Some fella well, called Robbie wants to play for you. I'm delighted to say that Brendan Rogers has been listening to that, Robbie, so we can ask him that very question now. It's great to have you. Very well, Brendan. Brendan, how are you, pal? Yeah, very good, thanks. Very good. Well, well, let's start right there. Brendan, Leicester City manager, great to have you on the Robbie Further podcast. And Brendan, Robbie was just regaling us a tale there. We've got to start right here. You were a Liverpool manager at the time. I think there was a bit of a striker crisis. <laughs> Robbie sent a message to you, or at least he thought he was sending a message to you. Did you get said message? I can remember I got this picture of of a pair of boots. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was saying that uh, he was still there and ready if uh, if I needed him. <laughs> And bless him, he uh, he was this incredible striker and someone who I admired and respected so much. But I just didn't feel at that time that he had the legs that I needed. But Brendan, we'll always... when, when, when you score goals back like me, you don't need legs. <laughs> I could have just I could have just stood on the edge of the box and just you know, put anything in the back of the net that you needed. Yeah, but well, to be fair, Mario did that. It didn't quite, uh, <laughs> didn't quite finish. <laughs> yeah, apart from the finishing part, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, cause I always remember, I always think, I remember when I sent you the the, uh, the message, I'm thinking, can't believe I've just done that. But again, you know, I, I actually believed in myself as well. And that's that's the frightening thing about, even though I was finished, I, I admit I know that. So I think you've, you've actually done me a favour, Brendan, by, uh, by not replying. <laughs> no, listen, I know it's one of those ones where I can graciously say no to people <laughs> when you get experience. And to be fair, I did similar thing, bless me, and it must be used strikers. I had the same thing at Celtic with Robbie Keane. And uh, <laughs> Robbie, bless him, was... Uh, Similar, but he, like I said, he he played really well in a in a testimonial game and against Celtic, and uh, he uh, he done very well. But now for you guys, it's it must be so difficult, you know, you <laughs> incredible players, and you still feel after a couple of Heinekens, you can probably still do it. Yeah, I, I've got nothing. I, I mean, I've got nothing to come back for that. I think, I, Brendan, even now, I mean, I've I've not officially retired. To be fair, so. <laughs> I, I I was never after the ego trip where I wanted people to say how good I was or you would issue with that. So I just sort of bowed out gracefully. But listen, I can still find them boots. I mean, they've probably got cobwebs on. 
<laughs> yeah, well, listen, mate, you're an amazing striker and and, and what a player. Ah, right, listen, don't you tell him that. I've been saying this the whole season long. He's called God, for goodness sake, Brendan. But listen, it's it's genuinely great to have you on. We were just commenting there. And to, to embarrass you a little bit now, Brendan, massive fan of what you've done throughout your career. I've followed it very closely. I've been fortunate to spend a bit of time with you in Dubai, albeit very briefly up at the Nado Sheba Sports Complex. I want to start with Leicester. I want to come here if I can. Commend you on the job that you're doing there. Uh, and listen, give us your, your kind of summation, if you will, of the season so far and, and give us a, a kind of overview of, of how happy you are with what you boys have done thus far. Yeah, listen, the players have been brilliant in terms of uh, we've had to contend with a, a lot of injuries and a lot of injuries to key players, but we've had to try and find the way. Um, we've had a European campaign. It was That was our first sort of season with Europe in the mix as well. And uh, But overall, the, the players have shown a great mentality. They, they've played some great games, some big results. And now we find ourselves with nine games to go in the league, you know, one point off of second, and then the the, the semi final of the FA Cup. So, uh, but we also understand that there's uh, there's still a, a way to go yet. So, uh, but they're a joy to work with. I've got to say, they're, they're a great bunch of boys who they're very honest. They want to learn. They want to develop. And uh, and like I said, they, they they give their best in every game. Brendan, you, you you think about uh, obviously last season where you were in the Champions League places for for a large portion of the season, uh, and then sort of uh, fell away at the end, which obviously you know obviously with COVID situation and uh, various games, um, you obviously drifted away. And then do you get together at the end of the season, and then do you talk about the plans and the you know what 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 constitutes uh, a success for? For, for Leicester now, surely being in you know the top three at the minute, you know semi-finals of the of the FA Cup, you know regardless of what happens now, this season has been hugely successful for yourself and for Leicester City. Yeah, I think Robbie, what we did was the narrative around it was that we we obviously fell away and, and we dropped out of the the top four positions, but ultimately our goal, uh, which it was again this year as well, is to reach European football. So if you think we've got about the ninth, ninth highest budget in the league, right? So if you think of the top six, and then you're going to have Everton, West Ham, you know, around that sort of area. So so that's that's where this this club is at. So for us to gain European football uh, is is huge for 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 Leicester. So but my my ambition coming to here was was to try and disrupt the market of the top six. So you you have those big clubs, and I, I say top six. Top six for me is obviously defined like in, in a financial basis. Yep. You know, yeah. sizes of clubs, the economic uh, situation of clubs, obviously are far greater than Leicester's. But I've always felt that could we then find a way to to get into the top six in a football capacity? So last year we we did that. Okay, we were close and and disappointed not to arrive in the top four. But again, like you say. COVID, key players, and our depth of squad wasn't uh, wasn't able to cope with that. So we ended up, we drifted away. I think we only won about two of our last nine games. and so it, it, uh, But we still finished in Europe, so that was great. There's no doubt in the summer, we had to, I had to reinforce with the players about the last season being a success. But how could we then um, prepare for the challenges ahead? And what were they going to be? And, uh, and what strengths do we have? 
and how can we then improve going forward this year? And we went away, we went to the Grove Hotel, at, uh, some training days there, some workshops, just getting out into the open. And, and from that day, the players have been absolutely brilliant because I think it's important not to, it's important to talk about it. You know, the narrative around it was that we didn't have a good season. I wanted to reframe it for the players and say it was, listen, you've done really, really well, but can we now push on again this season? And Brendan, you mentioned their ninth highest budget. That comes down to coaching then. Give us your kind of, if you can, a bit of an insight. Ninth biggest budget or ninth, depending on what way you look at it. For you then to bridge that gap, talk to us about the fundamentals that you require in order to upset the top six. Well, I think for us, what's clear is from a recruitment perspective, uh, Chris, the, we're in a, a market that, that we know that uh, we can't move too far out of. So we'll get a player up to, say, 30-odd million, right? So we know straight away if someone comes on the market at 50, 60 million, 70 million, we can't get them. But still, for that, there you can get really good players, and they're normally going to be younger players. So if you think of Wesley Fafana, Yuri Tillman, these are players that are they're very good young players, and you can make them hopefully better, and they start to grow and develop. Um, so, so that's the idea. Uh, you have a you have a fighting chance of getting in good players, and then you're it's always going to then be about your collective. Can you collectively work, uh, bring in a style that uh, allows that those profiles and players to flourish? And, and and as Robbie will tell you, you also need to have a spirit that uh, because any club that spirit needs to be strong if you're going to succeed. So I'm very fortunate here that. <clears throat> The, the balance between the economics of the club, you know, that sort of very, very well run. The performance, that's up to me in order for it to, to perform on the pitch. And then there's a very, very small team of decision makers here that allows us all to make the right decision to go forward. So all in all, there's a great combination here. The ownership's absolutely amazing. They, they're very supportive. They're ambitious, but realistic in it as well. And... Um, and that allows us to, to progress. And then, like you say, I'm a coach and manager, so I and my staff around me are, are superb as well. So that allows us to work with the players, develop them, and, uh, and, and keep them improving. But Brendan, with the uh, you've just mentioned, obviously, the, uh, the economics of, uh, of Leicester and what type of club you are in terms of the budget. Surely now with, um, obviously, winning the Premier League, you know, a good few years ago now, but... I mean, you, you look at Leicester. You look at the the new ground that they've got. You know, you look at the uh, the, the fabulous new training ground they've got. So when you when you are looking to attract players, surely your attraction is is a lot more appealing when you've got that state of the art training ground, as as opposed to what you've had in the past. Yeah, it definitely, it's a huge upgrade. You know, Belvoir Drive, where the club used to be, the training ground been there for for many years was. Ended up being a fantastic facility. You know, the, the Leicester women's team are in there now. So that's a great facility for them. We've been able to come here. And this is, Robert, this is a genuine world-class training facility. It's it's a, a huge testament to the owners and, and the legacy of Kumbicha, the owner who obviously sadly passed away a few years back. To, to, to be in the facility that we're in here, um, it, it's absolutely incredible. So... Yeah, that, that plays a huge part when, when, as part of the sale, when you're attracting players. Of course, but as you and I know, there's a certain level of player that no matter how good the facilities are, you know, they yeah. want to maybe say go uh, to play for Liverpool or 
Manchester United or Man City, wherever. So, uh, but there's no doubt whenever you are a club that is a, a development club and you're attracting players like Yuri Tillmans or Wesley Fofana, having the facilities, having the, the infrastructure and the environment is absolutely key to, uh, to helping them grow and, and making the commitment to come here. Brendan, you said there, and it's your word there, a developing club. Clearly, Leicester are still that. Champions, of course, a few years back, and Robbie's alluded to that. I wonder, though, with that stadium, with the new training ground, with yourself and your coaching staff, with the development of a lot of young players at the football club as well, and I don't want to pry too much here, but are agents starting to, to pick up the phone? Are you starting to see a bit of a shift now that Leicester, on merit, are actually starting. Let's not let's forget the top six. It's a top seven now. Well, I think it's one where I think that that work always continues. I think it's it's an attractive club. I think what we're trying to do is trying to do it by design. You know, we're trying to make this a sustainable club. You know, we're it's always going to be really competitive for us and, and a challenge for us to 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 stay in those top six positions. You know, because of the nature of, of all the clubs, it's there. And, and but, but certainly, it's it's something that no way I'm going to speak to to lead my recruitment head of recruitment and and John Rodkin, our uh, our director of football. Yeah, there's there's lots of people that, you know, I think it's it's our identity which is important. People see yeah. how the team plays. Players want to play in that that style, and uh, and of course they know that coming to here. This is an environment where they're going to improve and develop. And listen, for me, 99.9% of players want to improve. So if you can create that environment and, and they're maybe not ready to make the step to uh, Man City or Liverpool or whatever, then this, this can be a great place for them to be. Brendan, that, that obviously leads us to obviously the uh, the coaching style. And, I, and just before obviously you joined us, I was telling Chris a story about me, me being on a pre-season tour with Liverpool. Um, and, you know, me watching you train in pre-season, you getting a team ready, but what you did and you went out of your way to come over to myself and Russia, as it was at the time, and you told us everything that you were doing and why you were doing it. Now, for me, that speaks volumes for, for, about you and you know how confident you are as a coach because you don't really get managers wanting to do that with say, exit individuals from club in case today to maybe try and put a little bit of pressure on them. But that's why I've always had a little bit of time for you. Not only have you been good, but whenever anyone has come to watch, that you've always sort of felt comfortable around them and, and made whoever it was feel comfortable in around that, that training setup. Has that always been your coaching style or is it something that you've, you've developed as you've, as you've gone to the, the, the so-called Premier League or the, the bigger clubs, if you like? No, I think it's more human quality, Robbie. I, I care for people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a genuine care for people. I like to, you know, have an environment where it's welcoming. You know, and I also go back to the reason I joined Liverpool. I joined Liverpool. You know, I had an opportunity to go to a club that was that was in a, in a better position uh, after Swansea uh, than what Liverpool were in. But I I joined Liverpool because of the story of you, Rushy, you know, Phil Neil, all the guys that I came across. And for me, it, as I said, it was amazing. You know, I, I love being in your guys' company to hear the stories and, and, and also offer you the respect that these are the legends of the club. And that never frightened me. I tried to embrace that because that's why I was there. These are the guys that made the club that it was. 
So, and if I could help or support in any way as the manager of the club, you or what you were you were doing, then I would always want to do that. And I think it's not so much, I don't think that's coaching style because as I said, you'll, you'll come across coaches, like you say, you maybe want to keep legends of the club at a distance and, and keep them away from it. I always tried to embrace that. I loved the history of, of Liverpool. It was an incredible institution and, and guys like yourself were a big part of that. So I always wanted to try and make you feel welcome. So it's, it's, more, a, it's more what I am as a person as opposed to the, the coaching style. Just staying on that, Brendan, then, on your coaching style, what was, in your opinion, the biggest evolution that you've had as a coach? You know, you look at Chelsea Academy, Reading, Watford, Swansea, the wonderful job you did there, Liverpool, and we'll get to that in a little bit more detail, on to Celtic, those back-to-back trebles. Now, Leicester, where, in your opinion, have you made the biggest jump in your kind of coaching evolution, if you will? I think it's ongoing. Chris, I think that I was, so if you, if you strip it back to when I first started managing at Watford, uh, I, I wasn't a, a big player at all. I was a talented young player who played international football as a youth player, joined Reading, and then I had to quit. And then it was the case of, right, well, what are you going to do? So, and, and for me, football was my life and my passion. So I went down that journey of being a young coach through to coaching some of the best players in the world at Chelsea. And in 15 years of that, I was then ready to go and manage. So I had decent experience. But management then was giving me a totally different perspective. It's not just about the coaching. It's about leadership. It's about man management. And I would like to think that it's frightening, really. It's nearly, you know, nearly 10 years ago since I've been at Liverpool. And I think of that alone. I think walking in there at 39, and I'm now 48, and I'm virtually, my coaching principles and all of that, are the same. Those have evolved. Probably when I was younger, I maybe I wouldn't have compromised so much. You know, I say compromise. Fundamentally, my teams will always look to press, be aggressive, be creative and attacking in the football, and really and be a collective unit. So that that's how the teams have always played. But I think as I've evolved as, as a coach, I've tried to respect that sometimes if I don't have the best players. And I'm playing against a team like we had, say, for example, Man City away. Yeah. Then you have to adapt and you have to find your advantages elsewhere in the, in the game. So that's something that has evolved for me. But also management has led me, like Liverpool was a, was a huge step in terms of managing an institution where every word you say goes, you know, around the world in, in virtually a couple of seconds. Um, and as I said, it was, a, it was an incredible learning curve for me. And I felt when I left Liverpool, then I still needed a big pressure because the pressure of Liverpool was, was huge. Um, and that's why, as I said, I was able to go to, to, to Celtic. And, uh, but I just think as, as each role, each job with experience, you, you learn, you develop. And now, I, uh, I said where I was at Liverpool to, to where I am now, I'd be, uh, I'd be a different manager and a different leader. Brendan, you just mentioned obviously man management there. I think, I, look, I, I obviously witnessed it. I know that you're big into man management. But what, what is your what is your take on the, the like the technical or the technical acumen of the game as well? So I know you just spoke about you you maybe changing certain roles for certain teams. But do you sort of build on what you've got more often than not, as opposed to going down the what what it takes to stop the opposition? Do you 
what I'm saying basically is, are you looking at your strengths more and more as opposed to the opposition? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, listen, you always have to have balance, you know, and, and it's one where there used to be the, the years ago when teams played the same system, managers and coaches were able to say, right, we're Liverpool, that's Manfield, there's no tactics going away. But the game has changed now. Mm-hmm. The game has evolved. Fitness, everything in the game, loads of different tactics. So you have your own team's identity. And of course, you want to impose and be dominant in your style. But you have to respect the other team. And then, but what we'll then always look at more so is, because I think to attack well, you need to defend well. And that's something clearly that, in particular, over these last five years, I've, I've understood even more as a coach. So in order to, to attack and be creative, you also need to be able to defend well. Um, so, so you have to always have that in place. And the players in the modern game now, this generation of players, they all need that clarity. You know, what might have seemed obvious 15, 20 years ago for players, that that's how you'll defend or how you'll attack. Players now... They want to be clear on their role. So it's a different type of coaching and management. But then you go out and you send them out and you can you then exploit the other team's uh, shape and then find out where the advantages are. So, yeah, I'm very optimistic about my own team and look to send them out to be as super aggressive and both attack and defence. Brendan, when, you, when you're just speaking there, and obviously I, I, I'm into all that anyway because I'm obviously quite interested in this, but do you, do you work on, on specific... Uh, individual roles or do you work on unit roles for, for certain areas of the pitch when you're trying to stop an opposition? Yeah, both really. I think it's uh, throughout the week you'll obviously you'll you'll highlight key areas you know that, that you've identified as, as either a strength of theirs so our defenders need to be aware um, but also where we can exploit. I think that's, that's absolutely key. You're, you're looking at the other team and and as I said, the notion is to go out and be really aggressive in the game in your pressing. And then, like I said, it'll, there'll be specifics that you need to work in as well. You know, the, the finishing element, you know, we've done that a few weeks back when we had time to coach. You know, I took away the likes of Bards and Kalechi and, and Ayo Perez, Yuri uh, Tillmans, and we've done some finishing just uh, over the course of 25, 30 minutes. Different areas for different... Um, training exercises of what could come for them in the game. Um, and then obviously, they, and, and as you say, and I remember Rushdie telling me when I was there, but you know, just hitting the back of the net in training and or in the game, even if you're tired, the minute you hit the back of the net as a striker, that you yeah. get energy from that. And uh, so I'm always conscious of, especially attacking players, that to give them that confidence that they get the good habits of hitting the net. You've spoken there, Brendan, about the, the tactical side of the game more and more in the last 10, 15 years. What do you put that down to? Where is this fascination? Is it we, the media, that kind of you know push that narrative, if you will? Is it the game just a natural evolution whereby young players today want to be educated on how to play the game of football? I won't say properly because that would be doing a great disrespect and disservice to those that played the game before because we've had Graham Souness. Now, Graham on this podcast said, load of nonsense, it's 11 blokes, you go out there, the better players will ultimately win. Steve McManaman said so a couple of weeks back. Where's this fascination with tactics coming from? Yeah, no, no, I don't don't totally agree with that, if I'm honest. I think that now 
yeah, if you're if two teams are lined up four four two and they go out and, and they play, then normally you'll find that the better teams uh, will win that. Both tactics being the same, but where the game has evolved, you know, where the game has evolved is different systems, different organisations, you know. Um, so if you look at the Premier League now, and that's that's why I came back. You know, there's a real fascination for me around the the, the tactics, but it's dual, really. You know that you, as a manager and coach. Tactics are no good if you can't obviously get your players to work for you and run. Mm. That that's so that that's about your man management, your your emotional uh, hook with players. But once you got them able to do that, there's tactics in the game. You can't just throw out players and go right out. You go. You're Liverpool. Or you're Celtic. Or you're Leicester. You're playing against a lesser team and expect to win. Yeah. So I think yeah, there's more opinions around the game. There's more narratives around the game, like you say. There's more reporting in the game. Some will look at just the players. There's going to be different parts of the media just purely look at tactics. You know, there's there's websites all around the world focusing on tactics. So there's just more there's just more coverage of it. But there has there has always been a certain amount of tactics in, in football, you know. But of course, you have to, to implement those. You have to have top players. And this is something that's evolving eh, all the time. If you look at all the different systems, if you play against a system, so we played Manchester United in our last game. We're playing 3-4-1-2. They're playing 4-2-3-1. Right, so I now got to think, where is the advantage against that system? And if I don't make that clear to the players, yeah, they'll go out and play. Mm. But if I can help them, find the advantage of my system against that system, that surely gives us a better chance of winning. And if we can then exploit that advantage, then hopefully we can win the game. So there's two teams playing two different systems. Yeah, Manchester United have incredible players, iconic club, and and you get Leicester, smaller club, you know, not on the, the same level, but can we find a way Win. Now that's tactical. But and I enjoy that. Some coaches don't. Some coaches will think it's all emotional, and that's fine. For me, there's a balance. You can't disregard either one. Because you can all the tactics in the world, but if you if the players don't want to run, it's no good. Brent, Brendan, when you talk about yeah. obviously tactics and obviously setups and systems playing against opposition or the way you set up. I, I'm a big believer in, look, whatever whatever formation or whatever system that you play anyway, I mean, the good players will, will work it out and they'll adapt and they'll, they'll, they'll need to adapt to whatever situation's on in that pitch anyway. But if you move a player maybe 10 yards, 5, 10 yards, that system and that formation changes anyway. So you've got to get into the player's heads that this might happen and you've got to maybe see sense on the pitch of, of, of what's needed and, and, and what can be done to sort of combat anything. Yeah, 100%, Robbie. And I think the, the point that you're saying there and is absolutely right. I, I think nowadays even more, as I said, this is a new generation of player where last, you know, when you played and when you were around playing, yeah, you were bright, you were clever, you, you know, you were streetwise. Sometimes you didn't need to be told things. You just worked it out on the field. But now lots of players, and it's just the generation, you know, they're very inquisitive. 
They want to ask, they want to be sure, they want to be clear of their role. Uh, and they want to be told that, you know. Mm-hmm. And even sometimes they know they're still looking clarity in the position. But so that element of responsibility, because I think now there's a danger of you as a coach or manager, if you if you just expect the guy to know it, like the guy 20, 30 years ago just to know it. Because the world's different. You know, it's a, it's a different mindset now of, of, of this generation. Um, so it's, um, but yeah, they'll work it out, but they need help yeah. in working it out, probably more so now than maybe what, what it was uh, a number of years ago. I was interested to read, Brendan, that I think you've studied neuro-linguistic programming completely over my head. Uh-huh. Give us an idea of that, please. Break that into layman's terms, because I find this credit. fascinating. It's just communication. Okay. It's communication. Based around, yeah, the, 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 the mission statement around NLP, it's, it's shortened for. It's, it's basically that the quality of your life is the quality of your communication. And it's as simple as that. And, and when you think of it in, in, in simple terms, yeah, that, that ability to communicate with people. And in our game, that's what it's about. You know, you're working with different players from different um, nationalities, you, how you, your, your body language, all that sort of side of it, how you how can, you can communicate. I first started it really to, to, to help me in my, uh, as a parent, bringing up my, my kids now, who are obviously a lot older, but how could I help them? And be a better father and, and communicate with them better. And then through through the um, through the courses and that and the classes that I did, it then evolves into to lots of things. But really, that's the, the simplicity of it. It's communicating with uh, people. Well, I've got a story that you may recall. Uh, we were in conversation with John Terry over in these parts, over in Dubai about 18 months ago. And your name cropped up in a conversation. And I asked about you, I think you were still Celtic, or you'd just taken over at Leicester at the time, I think it was. And I said, Brendan Rogers, talk to me about him. And he said, top coach. Not saying that to embarrass you. This is John's words, not mine. And he recalled a story where he hadn't scored. And I want you to pick up this story. I'm hoping you recall this. He hadn't been scoring. And, and John said that he put an awful lot of stock in adding to the attacking kind of semblance of, of what Chelsea was, that he was a bit down on himself. And he didn't realise that he was down on himself until you tapped him on the shoulder one morning and said, John, come over. Do you recall this, that you'd put mm. a video montage together? Talk us through that. Yeah. I think at the time, what had happened on, um, Josie had left. Abraham Grant was the manager. And I felt that there was a group of the senior players, and in particular John, they were carrying a lot. There's a big burden on him. And uh, and John at the time, and the skipper that he was, he was obviously trying to help everyone. And I could see it was affecting him. He was world class. He was, John, and he was a good man. And uh, I just, I pulled him one, one morning and I said, listen, after training, can we have a, uh, have a word? Because I was thinking, this is a guy who's trying to motivate everyone else and I'd, I'd seen over the, the, the previous few weeks how could I help them um, so what I did was I, um, I pulled him into one of the rooms and I said and, and I, I was pretty clear with him I said listen for me you're you got to look after yourself because your performances drop 
And I didn't want to wait six months to tell him something. I could tell him no. So I was honest with him. I was clear with him. But at the same time, I also wanted to help him. And then what I did was I, uh, I got this montage of, um, of clips for him to show him, him at his best. And then, uh, and then I got uh, a, a friend of mine who was, um, who was a writer. And I got him to put together a, uh, uh, a little story about John and, and how good he was and how good he could be. And the writer was much more clever with words than me, so we could put it into a nice little poem. And then I got that in a frame. And having been John, around John's house, I, I, uh, I knew the colour scheme in his house. So I got it framed. And I just gave that to him as a, a memento, really, to, listen, you, uh, you make sure you're, you're a top player and the other boys, they'll look after themselves. We'll look after them. But you just make sure you're right. And if you're right, then everything else goes from there. I think it was just, the, it was one for me. I could see who motivates the motivator. Yeah. He was this club captain. He was this iconic figure. And for me, he needed help. And I wanted to just help him in an emotional way because emotionally that's ultimately, like I said earlier, that's what it's about. You can be the best player in the world. And I knew that John could jump as high as this room. But what makes him jump? If he doesn't want to jump, it doesn't matter. So it's trying to find the emotional hook with players to help them. And, and that was just obviously something I felt was right at that time to give him a boost. Mm. Great story. Love that. Top stuff, that. It's a proper story, that. The other story that I think it was actually you, Brendan, I don't, again, don't want to embarrass you on the, on this pod, but one thing that you said that one of the best pieces of advice that you were given was from Sir Alex Ferguson, whereby he said, I think, and again, I'm putting not wanting to put words in your mouth, Brendan, you are the neuro-linguistic programming expert, not me. Nothing but to do with it. It's communication, exactly that. Where Fergie had said to you, the sooner, Brendan, you get your coaching staff to understand what it is that you're about, what you want from them Monday to Friday and take a step back, the sooner you'll see the bigger picture. Am I on the right lines with that? What did he mean and what did you kind of take away from that? No, yeah, well, that's what he meant. He didn't quite say it like that. But what he what touched on was the um, uh, was observation. And that's definitely something the last five years that I've brought into my uh, into my world. So, so basically, what he what he was saying was that I was a coach who, like I said, I was never a big player, so I had to earn my stripes on the grass. So, virtually right the way through my career, right the way through to Liverpool, I I would take virtually every session and absolutely everything. And that's my strength on the field, but. When he mentioned that, when I left Liverpool and when I was looking at and, and summarising my own work and how it could be better, I felt that I needed to observe more and uh, and take a step back from it. So I'll always create the strategy around the game, create the tactics around the game. But there was certain days where, you know, I could let my staff do work because... By that stage, I'll have already set in place all the principles of how we play and how we work. And if I have the staff around me that are really good coaches, I can then take a step back and observe a bit more and uh, and take a leadership role from a different perspective. Um, and that's been, a, that, that, that's been a big part of the last five years for me. So I don't feel I need to be right inside it. 
you know, I'll always lead it. I'll always set the the structure of it. But I pick up things now that I wouldn't have done, you know, in the past, just purely through observation, because you can read the body language of, of, of people better. You can see things better. Sometimes when you're coaching, you're right in that moment. And you have an overview, of course, but it's totally different when you're detached from it that little bit. So, um, so yeah, so, so observation, and especially if you gain experience and, and a bit more wisdom around management, that is definitely something that, uh, that uh, is important. I couldn't have done that when I was a young coach because I was fighting my way in the game. I was trying to prove that I understood the game. I had to earn the respect of top players. So in order to do that, one, I needed to be a good person so they could relate to and respect as a person. But, and then on top of that, I had to show that I could coach because I, I wasn't coming with 500 games and 100 international caps. I didn't have that. My path was different. Mm. So, but certainly as I've gained experience now in leadership and management and coaching, observation is, 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 is very important. The Robbie Fowler Academy is the award-winning leading college for football and academic education. You can find out more at the official website, robbiefowleracademy.co.uk. Brendan, can we obviously, well, I think we're doing obviously things in reverse here. So obviously we spoke about Leicester and, and obviously how you ended up at Leicester was obviously uh, the job you've done up at Celtic was just extraordinary. So regardless of what people think of the Scottish League, uh, I mean, your job and the role you played in in Obviously, you've done the, the double treble, uh, and if, obviously, you've never left. You were on course to do the, um, you know, the triple, triple. treble. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that is in itself is extraordinary. And I think, uh, I think your job and your role that you done up there in, in was very instrumental in all the good that Celtic have, you know, have, have progressed to and, and what they are now. Um, but I mean, it's outstanding. How, how do you look back at your sort of your tenor at Celtic, and and we, we all know it was a success, a success. But is your success up there based on how well you've done in the league and the cups, or did you always feel under pressure to perform that little bit better in European football? You know, I think I I always hope that you know when I left Celtic, when I was in there, I'd said that my legacy would be hopefully what people felt about not about how I left or how I joined, but the football and what we did when we were there. Celtic was a, a job for me that I felt I, I, I needed pressure when I left Liverpool. Huge pressure there. And, uh, and I always wanted to manage Celtic. I was a Celtic supporter as a boy and as a man. And I'd always hoped that one day I could. And the opportunity came for me uh, after Liverpool. And, uh, and it just felt right. And from the first day I walked in there, it just feels different. But like you manage in Liverpool, Robbie, there's a different feeling. If you manage other clubs, you'll give your best, you'll do everything. But to manage Celtic was a dream come true for me. I was never good enough to play for them. So to manage them was just, it was a dream. And, and for me, from the first day I arrived, the support I had, it, it, was, it was incredible. And my job going in there, Celtic were winning, uh, but they just lost to Rangers in the semi-final of the, the, the Scottish Cup. They were well beat, they got outplayed. Um, and there was a real sense of, and Rangers were coming back into the, in the Premiership, back into the league. And so there's a real feeling that um, Celtic were, were, were not as good as what they could be. So 
my vision going in there was to for Celtic to win and win in the best way we possibly could. They hadn't been in the Champions League for something like three seasons. So could we get them back to there? And then I was very lucky. I had an amazing group of players. They were really good guys. We, we, they, I felt they were so authentic. They were playing for this huge institution and, and I was in to help them. And me and my staff we went in and then we were able to create history of so many magical moments. And then, um, like I said, when it, uh, towards the end, I, uh, I felt I'd taken Celtic as far as I could. I could have stayed on and, uh, you know, and, and like you say, done the, the treble treble, but we'd won seven trophies in, in a row. And, um, and we'd created so many records and, and, and so many incredible memories. But I just felt that I'd maybe taken the team or the club as far as I could, you know. And, and, and for me, I'm the type that I need the next test and the next challenge. And, uh, and unfortunately, I wasn't able to develop that there at Celtic. So for me then, okay, it was to, to come to here and, uh, and see if I could help disrupt the market of the top six and break into that. And that was a huge challenge, but that's what I've always, I've always taken on. If you, if you look through my managerial career, going to Watford down in the bottom three, keeping them up was a challenge. Yeah. Going to Reading, trying to get them into the Premier League, failed. Swansea, could we become the first Welsh team to get into the Premier League? We did that, right? Going to Liverpool when I could have went elsewhere. The challenge, Liverpool were eighth. They had been out of the Champions League for a few seasons. Could I get them back in? Yes, we were able to do that. Nearly win the league. But, okay, going to Celtic, could we win in the best way? Could we get back to the Champions League? So, for me, the, the, the story is, it's all about the test and the challenge. And um, But I, I, had a, I, I had a dream come true at Celtic and uh, I, I loved every, every minute of it. So, Brendan, you know when you obviously you went up to Celtic and you've just alluded to yourself, so you won the, your first seven trophies in the, obviously the two and a half years that you were there. Um, I think the first range, uh, the first Celtic manager to have three, uh, three of the first victories against Rangers. I, th- I think that's uh, obviously another one of your records. But one of your, or not one of your first games, but your first game was a, a team called uh, the fabulously named Red Imps, where obviously you <laughs> lost in a in, in a qualifier. Was you when you lost that game? Did you think to yourself, "Christ, what is happening here?" By the way, a little bit. <laughs> I, I, we had a really good pre-season, and then we we we, uh, we were drawn this this team in the in, in the Champions League, and uh, and it was at that night. I knew, without being arrogant, I knew over the two games we would get through. Yeah, but that night, I knew that. Right, Christ. Uh, I walked over to applaud the Celtic supporters for coming. <laughs> and, uh, and they weren't happy. <laughs> even though it was pre-season and even though they could probably see, you know, there's a big, huge demand. And I remember getting in the bus and leaving the ground. And it was the, 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 the support around the bus that weren't happy. I thought, wow, right, you've got to be good here. You're not even, you know, there's no grace. You, you've got to be good in every game so uh, but yeah we, we lost that it was a it was a horrible evening it was 36 degrees it was a dry astroturf pitch and um, 
I, I actually yeah. remember the game. The, the game, it was right next to the airport as well, wasn't it? If, if, if my memory's right. Well, I, well, Craig Gordon was about a thousand yards from uh, a Monarch, Monarch airline that was just <laughs> coming in around the back. Oh, the setting was great. The setting was lovely, but the result wasn't so good. <laughs> but but hey, listen, you, you quickly turned it around, Brendan, and you've said it, your, your record stand, stands up. And you as a, a self-confessed Celtic fan, you said it day one, and you know you will know that with that mob, and I call them the mob, I'm being respectful to them. I've got a lot of Celtic mates of mine. You'll have those in the camp that say Brendan Rodgers were a manager. The brand of football was the greatest that I've seen in my lifetime. You will be acutely aware as well, Brendan. You've also got fans to say, hey, Brendan Rodgers, he walked out on us mid-season. What do you say to those fans, those disgruntled fans that think, oh, I could have easily said to Leicester, wait until the end of the season, played out the third season, and then he would have gone with their acceptance. What do you say? What's your message? to those fans? Well, listen, I understand, Chris, that, that there, there, there'll always there'll be a narrative around that. You know, my, my own, I've always made decisions that uh, I've always felt have been right. Yeah. In terms of, even though I was a supporter of the club, this is also my profession. You know, I, I felt at that time, there was about, what, about 10 games to go. We were eight points clear. We had won the first trophy of the, the season in the League Cup. I think we are in the quarterfinals of the Scottish Cup. Yeah. So I, my feeling was that the team was in a good place. You know, we'd created an environment and established a, a mindset, a mentality over the two and three quarter years I was there. Um, and it may not have been ideal uh, to leave. And I, and I can understand, you know, any... Uh, any grievance towards me going away because, you know, I know Celtic supporters and, and I know that there's not another club like it and how could you walk out on it? And uh, and, and I, I can totally accept that. But but I knew, I, I know in my heart that from the first day I walked into Celtic, I gave Celtic my life. I gave everything to Celtic. My ambition was to improve the club on the pitch and off the pitch. And when that moment came that I felt I couldn't do that. Yeah, I could have went on to the end of the season. Um, but there was an opportunity for me to to come to, to to Leicester, see the players here for the last 10 games, and then prepare for the following season. And that, that period gave me uh, a, a real opportunity to do that. So it actually worked out quite well, if you look at it for both. Because Celtic did a stay on course to win the treble, which they did, yeah. and they won it by the nine, 10 points that I left. And then I was able to come into Leicester and, um, and, and, and pick up a good feel for the players and, and establish a culture here. And then that would provide us with a good base to go to the next season. Um, so, um, but yeah, listen, I, I, I totally understand it. And uh, I'm, uh, I'll never be critical because I, I, I totally, I totally get why people would, feel that why shouldn't I stay but um, but my memory is more towards the the, the times I had there and uh, and, and all the, the joy that that I felt when I was there which was which was amazing it was amazing I mean that's taking nothing away I mean seven trophies seven trophies in front of you you won seven for goodness sake Brendan I, I wonder as well you've talked about uh, and uh, 
you've mentioned about your kind of development as a coach, as a man, over the course of the last 10, 15 years in coaching. I wonder, you, you mentioned walking in, you, you've used the word institution twice, Liverpool Football Club, Celtic Football Club, 39 years of age, walking into Liverpool. Did you feel ready? And it's an honest answer kind of required, Brendan. When you look back now, when you think back, wow, 39, walking into Liverpool after the success you had at Swansea, knowing what you know now, did you feel ready for that job? Well, I think you do, Chris. I think when you arrive in there at that moment, and, and as I said, I I was 39, so I was very, very young. But I'd had, you know, virtually, you know, nearly 20 years in terms of coaching and, 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 a, and a small period as a manager. Um, of course, I look on it now nearly 10 years later, and am I... Uh, is my evolution as a manager much greater now? Would I be better prepared if I was to go in now? Absolutely. I, of course, for sure. But at that time, you you feel that you, you know, you can go in and uh, make an impact. And uh, and I think, you know, we uh, we did that with, you know, the budget that we had and with the players that we had there. And, you know, you remember back then at Liverpool, we only bring in loan players, you know, to, to come in and... and and, and fill positions for us. And, and the strategy uh, was very much that, you know, and we went on this magic carpet ride for two years um, to, uh, to, you know, just finish short on winning the league. And then of course, third year wasn't so, uh, wasn't so good, but we lost Louis and things had happened within that, that season. But no, it was, yeah. Hindsight will always tell you, a manager at 39 and, and 48, is 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 different, but we're all we're all yeah. captains of hindsight, aren't we? Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Brendan, you just spoke, you spoke to about your your tenant your tenant at Celtic and how successful it was. How you went in to go there and change the fortunes of the club, if you like, and uh, become this dominant force again. You know, when you went to Liverpool, and regardless of what people think, you know, some people will have you know certain ideas or sort of ideologies of how you was at Liverpool and what type of manager you was. Uh, but there's no, there's no doubt about it. When you came to Liverpool to when you left, Liverpool were a far better club, far better players, far better organised. But do you feel, from from your own personal point of view, that you get the, do you get the, the respect and do you get the credit that? that you felt you deserved because, you know, let's be honest, the club were in a better position than when you left and than what they were when you took over. Yeah, I never looked for the personal side of it, Robbie. I, I just, I know in my heart that I felt we'd done a, a decent job, you know, arriving in. We, we, we were looking to change the, the team identity. I knew I was, I was taking over from, uh, you know, an, an iconic figure in, in yeah. Kenny. So that always was going to be difficult, but I always tried to respect that, but I was very, um, you know, I was very focused on what I felt I could do. Also, as well, when I arrived in, and probably, probably, it shouldn't out there so much. We were having to cut the budget at Liverpool, you know, between thirty and forty million pounds. We were having to take off the wage bill. So you think players like Aquilani and that were being moved on, and um, Maxi Rodriguez, who's a fantastic player, you know. So there was. We were having to cut the budget whilst trying to uh, be competitive. And, and I think in that first season, we were able to establish a lot of uh, those ideas and principles whilst there was change happening. And, and the supporters were great because they could see what we were trying to do. And obviously the second year we went so close 
and um, and and listen, you're 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 so close to being the first manager and, and for 27 years, wherever it was, to have won the league, and then it just sort of drifts away from you. But that's the that's the game. I never look at it from the you know people. There'll always be a narrative around. Uh, managers or coaches you know I, I had a brilliant time there I loved everything about Liverpool the city the club um yeah it just didn't work out for us at the end um but I, th- I think we, we left some really good players we brought in some young players to develop you know like Philippe and Jordan grew in my time there we brought in guys that were really important like James Milner on a free um so uh so yeah it was uh it was a uh, you know, for me, such an enjoyable period. Again, you, you'll have people that say, "Listen, you've done a really good job there in the circumstances. You've set a good base." There'll be others say that you, you didn't. So, uh, I've learned through experience to just to be balanced either way. You know where I'm going with this next one, Brendan. John Terry says that he still wakes up basically every night. He got emotional with us when he talked about the penalty miss in Moscow 2008. We've had Stephen on this podcast and Robbie was right. Robbie had the stats. He'd done his research. Not an awful lot's made of the fact that Chelsea, for goodness sake, lost to Sunderland. Drew with Norwich, I believe it was. Robbie, wasn't it? Stamford Bridge in that run-in. You know the game I'm going to. Do you replay it, Brendan? Are you in the car? And I know you've moved on. You've been manager of Celtic, your manager of Leicester. This is not about a disrespect to those teams. But are there times you'll be in the car, you'll be at the traffic lights, and you think to yourself, oi, 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 if I'd done that, if I'd done that, if we'd done that. Does that take up your thoughts now and again? No. No, honestly. No, no not at all. I think in the... And that's... You know, I think that what we did was we were on an 11-game winning run. We arrived into that Chelsea game in great form. And we played very, very well in the first half. We created chances. They were sitting deep and uh, we didn't make the breakthrough. But we were we were fine in the game. Um, we, we were an aggressive team. We were an attacking team. And, and we continue with that being. Um, obviously, uh, the, the moment where Stevie slips happens just before half time. Okay, it happens. Next 15 minutes of the second half, we, we you know we stay we look to stay calm and um, and look to get the goal. And then I think probably after about 65 minutes, I think that um, just the whole emotion of the game takes over, and then we become too frantic in the game. You know, we you know we're talking tactics. You know, it's becomes too emotional. You know, we're, we're running out of position. We, we look desperate too early in the game. Um, and that was just because lots of the players never been in the experience, be, you know, in the position before. Um, and uh, and then we end up losing the game 2-0. We, you know, we're, we're going up for, for a corner late on and then the corner ends up, we break away and they score. Um, but... It was just one of those things that happens. I'm one, to be fair, Chris, I don't look back into the past so much. You know, I, I, I'm genuinely one. You could come to me on a lot of things and people would say things to me about games and stuff. But my life has always been about the next experience. And that's why, I, 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 you know, I feel that I can park things. I'll learn from it. You know, I can be better. Um, but that was something that, 
was just an unfortunate thing to have happened. And um, and of course, that was the game that, that lost us, really, because directly after that, I think uh, Man City were playing um, Crystal Palace, I think it was, and uh, so that, would have, that gave them the sort of boost, you know. But, but that game, yeah, we, we for 70 minutes of that game, it's how we've been for a lot of the a lot of the season. You know, we, with all due respect, if I had the back four I have here, then we'd have won the league. No question. And that's, you know, that, that that's what I would say. So we, um, we'd have been in a, in a position, but because we didn't have that, our team is very attacking. That was the strength of the team. You know, we didn't have a defensive midfield player. Our midfield player was our playmaker in Stephen. You know, he was a fantastic passer of the ball. He started a lot of attacks from deep. His vision was was so good. Um, so we were very much a front foot team. Um, so, um, so yeah, I look back in the game, obviously disappointed because we'd done so well that season. And I would love to have been the, the guy that uh, that would have won the league, but it just, just wasn't quite to be. Brendan, you just touched upon it yourself there. So Liverpool that year, I mean, starting the games absolutely on fire, but maybe you know two or three up in the first you know, 15, 20 minutes, a lot of the times in that year. Now, one of the things that probably rankles me a little bit about is when people talk about the Chelsea game and they talk about, you know, the ibs and the buts and, you know, what should have happened, what didn't happen. A lot of people now, and, and you mentioned before with hindsight, look back and said, oh, maybe Liverpool should have set up differently and, and went not to, not to win the game, but just not to lose the game, if that makes sense. So people are saying, well, you know, what you were doing all season, people will afterwards say, oh, well, maybe you should have shut some shop and just went and, and not lost the game. That surely that's ridiculous because I mean you're on Iden to not and if you'd have done that and got beat then people would yeah. have questioned you the other way. So I mean you could I don't think you could have ever won. In all fairness. Yeah, no, and and, and Robbie, you're absolutely right. And you know yourself now, having done a bit of coaching and that now, you know when you set up a team to play, that would be like saying to to Jurgen, you see how he works, offensive, yeah. aggressive, you know, look to dominate. That would be like saying to him, right. For this one game now, I want you just to stay away. It's not going to happen. Oh, yeah. to pet, right? You, you, you're, you, your team is about pressing high, being dominant, being up there. But for this one game, you're going to do everything that you haven't done in, in the two previous years and you're just going to sit back and, and invite pressure. You know, For us, I always felt that that team, probably because of personnel, okay, we maybe weren't so strong defensively. Okay, so we weren't the type of team that could just sit in and defend because we didn't have, I believe, the personnel for that. So our team was about being on the front foot and doing what top teams do is start quick and finish strong. So in the first 15, 20 minutes of games, like you say, we were always aggressive. You know, you think of the Arsenal game, we were 4-0 up in 20 minutes and at home that season was amazing. So... Yeah, I've heard one or two people talk around that, the tactics of it, and yeah, and, and uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with that because, like you say, especially when you get in coaching and management, it doesn't happen. You, you, no. you don't you don't play like Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp on a Monday and then turn around and play like Diego Simone uh, on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. it, it's just it's it's your identity, you know. 
Brendan, I'm conscious of time. We've got you for another five minutes or so, and I promise I'll let you get on with your day. I want to ask, you said something interesting there about 70-minute mark. You could see the emotions of the match were starting to take over. Is that in real time, Brendan, or is that in hindsight? Because I wonder, and and I'm not an elite football manager, how difficult is it to get control of that situation? In a lot of ways, are you riding that crest? Are you having to trust the players? Or is this all in hindsight when you watch the game back? Are you seeing those emotions clearly? I just wonder on that, how you gain control when emotions are running so high. Yeah, well, that's something that can be difficult in the game because you, there, there's a momentum there within the game and like I said we, we only needed to draw the game it wasn't a game that we had to win obviously you go out to win every game Chris but it was one where yeah you, you could just sense our best players were on the pitch you know we, we were I've always said key to those last few games was Jordan Henderson not being there because uh, Jordan gives us gave us great stability in the team and uh, but yeah, I just felt it was we 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 needed to score a goal. We had our best attackers on the field, and and I trusted the team. I trusted the team. We'd scored goals all season. We were the first, you know, I think Liverpool team in a long time to get over a hundred goals. Obviously, so I had trust that the best players were on there uh, to score, and uh, so you're you're seeing the game develop. And you're hoping then that you can get there at the end of the game. And uh, and unfortunately for us, we didn't. But um, yeah, we, we, which was a real shame. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I know it was, Rob. I know it was. Yeah. I, I want to get, uh, just very quickly as well, Bryn, we've got a number Go nine, a, le- a legend in our midst here. You've got a, a, a great number nine in your midst. And uh, Jamie Vardy, the story's well told. I wonder, Brendan, is he as good? Did you realise just how good Jamie Vardy was before you started working with him? Yeah, I think his story was was out there. Everyone has loved Jamie's story from where he's come from. And, and if you actually think on it, you know, became a professional, what, professional player at 25. He scores his first Premier League goal at 27. Wow. Yeah, he's got the numbers and the standing in the game. So, you know, at this point of his game. And, and Robbie will is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. I was, I said to him when I first met him, you know, I could see him from afar. I could see he was, you know, he's streetwise, you know, he's cunning and a bit like Robbie and a bit like Suarez and these guys. You, 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 he's, he's that tight, you know. I've seen his pace, I've seen everything about him. I didn't realize how good he was in the game until I got here. I was so glad he was here. Um, and even though at that time people were, Felt he was on his way downhill. He was 32 and and whatever. But for me, he's uh, he's he's a natural striker. His timing of his movement, he's tactically brilliant. So that's why he's very very rarely offside. His timing of his runs, he's cute. And what he's added to his game, and you see lots of assists now he makes in yeah. the game. And um, he's not one of those strikers that's going to come underneath and link the game and. And, and get turned on it and be super clever. He's a boy that frightens the life out of defenders going on the other side of them. And that, you know, really, really hurts teams. So, uh, so yeah, but a wonderful guy. He's, he's I think he's, he's, he's a mellowed a bit from what he would have been as a, as a young player, but um, a great energy, um, frightened of no one. 
he's frightened of nobody. He goes into the game, he respects, of course, but he goes in with the belief that he'll score in every game. And for me, he's been absolutely incredible. And uh, now he's a joy to work with every day. Could he have linked up with Robbie Fowler, two number nines? Would they have played yeah. well together? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, top players do that, don't they? And different strengths, different qualities. Robbie was one that could go on the other side. He's quick. And then he was also one that could come underneath, turn and shoot from 30 yards into the top corner. So he'd absolutely <laughs> everything. Right, on that note, thanks very much, Brendan. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I was here for. We should have just rolled this for a start, that would have been it. Well, well, on that note, because I'm conscious of time, Brendan, and you're a busy boy and we've kept you an hour, uh, this is more of a question for, I think, our listeners, because a lot's been said about Jurgen and a lot's been said about Pep, and I I genuinely put you up there with those boys. Uh, Other coaches that, that have caught your eye out with the kind of big boys, other coaches that we should all be keeping an eye on? I think if you look look throughout the league, you know the Premier League is the most competitive league in the the world, and, and I've always, you know, Pep Guardiola and what he's done and and how he's innovated the game, he's, he's a genius. Uh, and you look at Jurgen as well, what Jurgen's done throughout his career and gone into Liverpool and 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 the style that he's, he's implemented there, and also what he's brought, he's, he's you know he, he was perfect for for Liverpool. Um, but yeah, you can go through the league, and, and and Jose gets written off a bit in modern times. But this is one of the, well, this is one of the, the greats of, of this generation of coaches. You know, he was uh, absolutely phenomenal. Yes, a different style, a different way of working than uh, than, than some other coaches. But um, but no, he was. Um, you know, the, the, there's lots. You know, you, you look you look down the league. You look to Scotty Parker coming in, and Scotty's been been really good. How his teams have. I was trying to set them up to play. Graham's done a, a really good job at Brighton changing the, the philosophy of, of his team, Dean Smith. So th- there's lots of lesson to work at this level and, and, and to be in around the competition at this level. And you, you have to have something about you. And, and, and every coach working at this level uh, shows great qualities. Bielsa is someone that I've admired from way back when he was uh, manager in Argentina. You know, I've got... I've got footage of him going years back and then followed his career from that. You know, he's, um, he, again, outstanding coach, a guy that wants to develop players. He's got this unique man-marking style that makes it difficult for any team. And, uh, yeah, and he's someone that I admired. And, and also his his sporting behaviour as well. You know, he, he likes his teams to win and play in, in a certain way, whilst always carrying a, a human respect. For, for officials in the game. And uh, I always feel he's very honest to the game, Marcello. So, uh, so, yeah, but it's incredible league to be involved in, incredible sport. It, it's the most competitive league in the world for a reason. Yeah. Great coaches, great players, and you get the chance to challenge yourself and test yourself in every single week. And uh, I love to, love to do that. And is, is this, Brendan, is this, I know you just mentioned it there, but is this the league where you want to finish football? Uh, I don't know. I'm Robbie. I'm I'm one that uh, I'm open. I my target is to get to a thousand games and then see where I get to. I'm, fi- I'm a, I think about five hundred and eighty-five games now as a manager. So I've a, a long way to go. And uh, you know what this industry is like. It can take me all around the world. So we shall see. 
Okay, well, listen, if you've got got another 400 games to go, Brendan, expect a text from me any time then. (laughs) Yeah, I'll uh, I'll wait on it. (laughs) Brendan, thanks very much. You're an absolute star, by the way. Top man, Brendan. Cheers, guys. No worries. A full hour, Brendan. Thank you so much, Brendan Rogers, Leicester City boss, and good luck for the rest of the season as well, Brendan. Cheers, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Top man. Thank you. Cheers, Brendan. Thanks, This is the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's. McDonald's McCafe. Great tasting coffee. Simple. Dubai Eye 103.8. Brendan Rogers on the Robbie Fowler Podcast. What an absolute gentleman. We've eked out an hour and five minutes with him, Robbie. Technically, yes. very good, I thought. Ah, I thought he was brilliant. Uh, good insight. Good insight to obviously various elements of certain clubs. Uh, good insight of what he's like as a manager. Um, again, you know, I've mentioned it loads of times. And again, I'm not putting myself in the in the brackets of all these great managers, but uh, it just shows you how, how important man management is. It certainly does. Uh, honestly, I, I'm big into that, and you know, and I love the fact he said that. Also, the fact is now he's in a position where he he can. He can observe a little bit more as well. Um, I, f- I, f- I love listening to, to, to certainly like-minded. That sounds stupid, doesn't it? But I love listening to no, to fellas no, like that. No, it doesn't. You're a manager as well, and, and and I've got a fascination. I always have with kind of football managers and how you go about setting up a team and, and leading a group of men. And I thought what was very interesting there. He talks about the um, the emotions of it all, and he talks about tactical, and it's about that balance. But ultimately, I mean, I've never actually asked you this. You mm-hmm. you're someone that would lean more towards emotion, getting man management, getting the guys to, to run through brick walls for you first and foremost, right? Yeah, uh, look, I, I totally agree with what you're saying and, and to, to what Brendan's saying is is me to a certain degree because I want my team to go out there and, and, and focus on what they can do and of course you need to do your work on the opposition and, and what their strengths are uh, and this is why I asked them the question about the you know the players moving 5-10 yards uh, then the system and the formation becomes different. Now, the question you probably always get asked as a coach or a manager is, oh, what system or what formation do you play? And I, I said it in India, it doesn't really matter. Now, people thought I was a little bit, I know, disruptive or a little bit, you know, derogatory towards the football. And I wasn't. I was just you know, merely pointing out that whatever, you know, formation we set up, whatever happens on a pitch, the players need to adapt and have their own accountability to what can happen on a pitch. So, you know, for example, if, um, you know, if, you, if you've got a striker... Uh, or a, sorry, a striker dropping dropping to get the ball. Then I don't really want him to go drop the ball. I want my defender to go and you know stop him from turning and maybe playing someone else in. So I want to force the ball, you know, well towards their own goal. And all of a sudden, yeah. that formation. If I'm playing with three at the back, that all of a sudden becomes two centre halves and, and two full backs as opposed to three at the back with uh, the two wing backs. So, you know, it, it, it is that horses for courses, and you do need to adapt to whatever situation or whatever team you're playing against. But whatever system or formation you put out, it's not necessarily the system, it's not the rigid system that you want your players to be playing for the full 90 minutes. You know, you have got to adapt and you've got to to, to be aware of, of certain occurrences that could happen in games. Yeah, it's about that flexibility and, and that's that's one thing that you've got to be mindful of. There's no doubt about that in the game. And, and listen, f- for you, Rob, you're back that second year of your East Bengal contract. I know in the previous edition you said few weeks, new ownership, old ownership. As things stand with that second year, though, you'll be back over to India when? 
Uh, you know what, Chris? I don't even know. So obviously, with, with the situation at the minute, is uh, you know the, the new owners uh, still haven't had the old fo- uh, the old forms of the uh, the old owners. So there's a little bit of a a political minefield at the minute. So uh, hence why you know I'm not really delving too much into uh, the, the the pros and cons of, of what what can happen here. But um, again, you know this this form could be signed within within the next week you know it, it could be five weeks so whoever whoever signs it will um well sorry the, the old the old ownership when it's signed you know the, the new ownership will obviously come to me and, and tell me and then we can start uh adapting and, and preparing and hopefully signing signing plays for next season but until that form gets signed i'm totally in the dark okay and in the meantime you've got your boots so anyone watching or <laughs> listening to this Robbie is a gun for hire. You can still find the back of the net. Yeah, but I I, I can't run though, Chris. I can't run. That's fine. Build uh, a team around yeah. you. You're the fox well, yeah. in the box, Rob. N- yeah, no one's ever done that. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I, I struggle. I struggle walking around a five side pitch these days, Chris. So. <laughs> Struggling to walk around that living room of yours, yeah. I think, Rob. Oh, you're, not, you're not wrong, I know. Right, what I've got to do before I say au revoir, and it's I think that's the first time I've spoken French, uh, to you, I've got you to do a little job for me because uh, we launched a competition a number of weeks back to win a signed uh, Liverpool shirt by your fine self, Robert, as well as Stephen Gerrard, two icons okay. of the club. Now, we have had a massive response to this. According to my recent count, we've had 4,221 entries into this. So what I need to you, and if I show you, if I scroll all through these, there's loads of yep. names here. I need a number from you, from one to four, one to 4,241. So any number between zero and all of those, please, and we'll pick a winner out on this pod. Oh, uh... So zero between zero and four thousand four thousand two hundred and forty-one. Okay, so there's going to be there's going to be a two and a three in it. There's nice, be, like what you've done. Yeah, and there's going to be a, a, a zero nine. So why don't we go three? <laughs> no, we'll go two three zero nine. Two jeepers, you've made it difficult, haven't two, you? Two thousand three hundred and nine. Two thousand three hundred and nine, and that is oh, congratulations. Two. If I had a drum roll, I'd play it out now. I got. I can do it. Is that that is a terrible drum? You'll add one in. Good. Right. It is. Congratulations. It's a fella from Crew. Is Crew close to Liverpool? Uh, yeah, it's not far actually. Probably about forty-five minutes. It's a fella. First name a fella you played for. I think played with at Leeds. First. Uh, second name Bridges. First name Michael. And then. Oh, this is a stat. Uh, left back at Fulham. I think he was the youngest player to play Premier League. Left back, Fulham. This will test your knowledge. I think it was Matthew, surname, Fulham. Oh, God. Left wing back. Begins with B. B, B, B. Now, you have to give us another clue. I can't think of that one, Chris. Uh, let me think about this. Oh, I've got no clue in me after that. That was the best one I could come up with on the spot. It's Briggs. Was it not Matty Briggs that played for Fulham? Uh, you know what you should have said, Johnny Briggs. Who the hell's Johnny Briggs? <laughs> hey, people of my age will know it anyway, so don't worry. 
Right, Michael Briggs from Crew. He is the recipient of that signed Liverpool shirt from your fine self and Stephen Jenner. Congratulations to you, Michael Briggs from Crew. Uh, the prize team, and that's not Robbie or I, will be in touch with you in the coming days, I'm sure. Roberto, 13 episodes in the can. I think that's season one done. We'll watch the space on that front. We'll maybe have yeah, an announcement or two in the next couple of weeks. Uh, fingers crossed. But, but you know what, though? It's been good. I've, I've really awesome. enjoyed it. I think uh, the, the standard of the guests. I'm not sure <laughs> whether we can. I'm not sure whether we can beat that. Oh, don't you worry. I've already got a list of names. They're they're, they're banging down our door. So they is that, are. Is that, is, that the, is that the list of names that you had when we we started this off, Chris? Or <laughs> yeah, there are one or two that have been added <laughs> to that one or two that were there. They just didn't make the cut. Naming no names, they just did not make uh, the cut. Yeah, yeah, because as you say. The names that you brought to the table, Rob, I mean, for a season one, the only way is bloody down, I think. Yeah, no, yeah. It was fantastic. It really was. A massive thanks to you on that front, Rob. Pleasure as always, pal. Pleasure. Well, listen, we wish you uh, the very best. I know, obviously, East Bengal, I know it's an- another busy few weeks for you. And nerve-wracking. I mean, are you nervous about the situation? You're fine. You're pretty relaxed. Um, yes, I am. Uh, but I've, I'm also a... Um a realist, mate. To be fair, so you know, I've I've just got to wait. Uh, I'm I'm pretty relaxed about most things, uh, if I'm being totally honest. But I mean, it's pointless getting upset and crying about things that are you know out of your hands. So you know, what will be will be. Uh, we'll we'll wait and we'll see, and hopefully it's the um, the right outcome. I'm sure it will be. There's no doubt about that. You've got a few weeks to mull it on over. Uh, we'll be back. There's no doubt we will be back in some guise in the coming weeks. Watch the space, I think, is what we will say on the Robbie Further podcast. 13 episodes in the can. To echo what Robbie said there, some incredible names. We thank all of our guests. want to thank the team as well. Uh, both uh, the, the guys know who they are, back of house as well, for helping put this podcast together. And a massive thanks to each and every one of you for whether it's been subscribing to the pod, whether it's been listening with us each and every week, whether it's been watching us on our YouTube channel the Robbie Fowler podcast channel we thank you for that can't thank you enough and we will be back there's no doubt about that and by the time we come back I promise Robbie Fowler will have a proper mic in front of him and we can ditch those uh, earphones of yours right Rob? Hang on I quite like these Chris I feel like Madonna Oh no we can't (laughs) 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 Oh I love it I wish if only you had Madonna's looks Rob if you had a well, singing voice, well, can we get a rendition? Before we go, can we get a rendition of You'll Never Walk Alone, yeah. please? What, do you want the slow version or...? <laughs> I, want, I want any version you're happy to play us out with. Right. Put me under pressure now, haven't you? Hang on, hang on, I can't... When you walk through a storm Hold your head up high And don't be afraid of the dark at the end of a storm, there's a golden sky and a sweet silver song of the love. Walk on. Do I need to carry on, Chris? I thought that was all right, Dad. <laughs> Have your kids left the house after that, Rob? There's oh, hey, dogs otherwise, and cats I, in Otherwise, no, no. The kids have left the house beforehand. Otherwise, <laughs> I wouldn't have been doing that. But I thought that was all right. In my head, it sounded thought- all right anyway. It sounded bloody brilliant, and I'm not a Liverpool fan or a Celtic fan, but that was good. Hey, but but you know what though? Hey, you as a Man United fan, 
were singing along, with waving your hands in the air, so I'm more than happy. Yeah, listen, we've got video proof of it as well. Oh, that's, that won't be getting out. That will not make the cut. <laughs> hey, listen, that will not hey, the, hey, the boys behind the, the scenes will absolute <laughs> guarantee that goes in the, uh, in the final cut. <laughs> We'll see about that, Robert. But listen, it's been awesome. It's what it has. Watch the space. Announcements upcoming. I'm sure of that because we've got a waiting list for guests on the Robbie Further podcast. And so we should as well because, Rob, one thing I've taken away from the 13 episodes of season one of the Robbie Further podcast, you're a popular fella is what you are, Rob. You've got a lot of people out there who will give up an awful lot of time for you. Uh, Not to embarrass you. Nah, well, I mean, I've said what I... I mean, I treat people the way they treat me, and if, if people are nice, I'm nice back, and and, and vice versa, mate. So yeah, uh, people have time, we're happy. Yeah, good man, Rob. You've had plenty of that for me. I thank you for that. A big thanks again to each and every one of you. Watch this space, the Robbie Further podcast. Thirteen episodes in the can. A big thanks to Brendan Rogers. We will be back, and of course, I've got to say the final thank you to McDonald's UAE. They have supported us. They have backed us from day one. A massive thanks to Walid and all of his team for his support on this particular project. Hey, uh, and Chris, obviously, the and platinum, they will get a... the platinum card is coming. Yeah, I will get a bigger thank you when I get my platinum card. It will be going viral, is what it will be. It will be on Robbie Fowler's Twitter when he gets his platinum card. I'm on it. Kenny Dougleish, if you're watching, I'm on your sim driver as well. Watch this space. Good stuff. Cheers, Rob. Top man, Chris. See you later, chaps. This has been the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's. Hear it again and more of our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.